0: This is Structured Rambling. A podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Science to be. Welcome. Hello. I think There were initially two perfect times to read Animal Farm by George Orwell. The first was when it was first published, in the wake of the Second World War, before the Cold War got going with a real fervor. Maybe, say, late 1945 or so, because for most readers, in this part of the world, Joseph Stalin was an ally. The Soviet Union was on the winning side and possibly in that time, right before the Berlin airlift and the proxy conflicts in the decades to follow, there were those who maybe needed to be reminded just who Stalin was, what the Russian Revolution had been. I think the second best time to read it, if I may be so bold, would be the first time I read it, in school, in 1991, just as the Soviet Union was collapsing, and before it restructured itself as the Putin dictatorship in everything but name. I remember reading those first few pages and getting it, seeing the allegory right away and thinking that my 14-year-old self was a genius. Upon rereading it you'd have to be some kind of an idiot to miss the allegory. But when you're 14, you need all the ego boosts you can get. It's rare I talk about a book on this podcast that I don't know that intimately. I have read Animal Farm a total of three times, despite it being only 95 95 pages long. I read it once in 1991, once this past August, and again last semester as I taught it. But if you want to truly understand a text, you should teach it. And I've been trying to understand it, and I've been thinking about it a lot of late. Here's my thesis. Animal Farm, an allegory about specific events that took place in Europe a 100 years or so ago, is still very relevant. In fact, it may even be more relevant today in the big picture. What I'm saying is... If the best times to read it were 80 years ago and 30 years ago, the third best time to read it might be right now. It's an allegory, as specific and intentional allegory as you can get, created by its author to parallel real events for a specific purpose. Allegory is a form of extended metaphor when a writer creates things and characters that stand in for other things or ideas. Aesop's fables are generally allegories. The main concept of life of Pi is allegorical. People often try to explain Star Wars as an allegory with the Empire representing capitalism or the Nazis or something. Seeing allegory when it's not there is the main entertainment of people who want a simple story, like Star Wars, to be more complex than it is. People want Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland to be the confessions of a a potential pedophile. Uh, When in reality it's a crazy series of stories um, from a guy out to entertain bored children. Quite possibly a guy who is really into drugs, but it is what it is. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, especially The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe, as an obvious allegory of the Christ story. It's pretty basic and it hits you over the head with it. One of these days, I'm going to do a podcast about Lewis. I keep putting it off because I know he means a lot to a lot of people and I would be pretty negative. He was a pompous Christian apologist, a misogynist, a mixer of mythic traditions, and that most annoying and persistent know-it-all of Christians, the born-again. Many want to see J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings as an allegory for World War II, with Sauron as Hitler, Saruman as Stalin, the ring as nuclear weapons. This makes zero sense, even if you ignore the fact that he started writing it well before the war broke out. Tolkien did write some allegories, most famously his short story, Leaf by Niggle, but in his foreword to the second edition of The Lord of the Rings, he famously or infamously said, quote, "'I cordially dislike allegory and all its manifestations, and have always done so since I grew old enough to detect its perseverance—old and wary enough, I should say, to detect its presence.'" I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied applicability to thought and experience of readers. I think that many confuse applicability with allegory, and the one resides the freedom of the reader, one resides in the freedom of the reader and the other in the purposed domination of the author. Now, ignoring the fact that this is a bold-faced lie and he would contradict it as so many others of his points that he makes over the years, he makes an interesting uh, ideological point. Applicability of literature is where we as readers connect to something, and it's the joy of the reading experience. However, in Animal Farm, George Orwell creates a fully formed and intentional allegory with applicability that is still pertinent in 2023. As with his opus, 1984, Orwell wrote a book for his times that surprised us all by transcending his times. Sadly, this is likely because we as a species haven't gotten any better, and maybe we've got a little worse. If you forgot Animal Farm, well, go read it again. You could have done it in the time it took me to finish this preamble. It goes like this. A group of mistreated farm animals, representing the Russian people, overthrow the corrupt and neglectful owner Mr. Jones, representing Tsar Nicholas and the royal family as a whole, and they set up a farm run for and by animals, representing the Soviet Union. They are led by the pigs, who stand in for the Soviet leadership. The only named pigs are Napoleon, for Joseph Stalin, Snowball, for Leon Trotsky, and Squealer, for Pravda, the main Soviet press. There is Boxer, the workhorse for the trusting Russian masses, Moses the raven for the Russian church, Benjamin the donkey for the cynical older generations who have seen it all before, the dogs for the army and the military police, and the sheep for the controlled and regulated press. There are other farmers, Frederick, who stands for Hitler, an ally who then turns on the animals, attacking the farm and is repelled, but leaving a wake of destruction which is the Battle of Stalingrad, the windmill is the forced Russian industrialization. In the end, the pigs become corrupt and become even worse rulers than Mr. Jones, as was the case under Stalin in the 30s and 40s in the USSR. As the Who says, quote, "'Meet the new boss, same as the old boss.'" Every single moment and character in this novella is patterned on something else, something actual. It is intentional, it is applicable, it is allegory. Smarter and more careful scholars than myself have studied the allegory of this novel in far greater detail. It's a scathing commentary on the lies and corruption of the early USSR, especially in its darkest days under Joseph Stalin, a man who starved millions, executed millions, a man unqualified for his position as leader, but highly qualified as a bully who is responsible for some of the greatest atrocities in history and deserves the same place in our historical collective memory of awfulness as Adolf Hitler or well, Showed all this. But what of my point that it's as applicable today, every bit as applicable as 1984, which is less specific in its attacks? My argument is easy to make because Animal Farm speaks to the same truths Plato did in his Allegory of the Cave. Those who wish to be in power wish to do so for the wrong reasons. Add to this the fact that it's a story about misinformation and propaganda and truth denying in 1945. But in 1945, those things had nothing on the process in 2023. When the revolution is over, Mr. Jones is banished and animalism is established. The pigs Napoleon and Snowball set to organizing the others. Snowball, with the help of Squealer, points uh, paints the seven commandments um, of animalism, uh, of the basic principles of animalism on the barn wall. They are, number one, Whatever, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes. Four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And seven, all animals are equal. Orwell will eventually have the pigs break every commandment. As any true politician, not a leader, but a politician does, they justify it every time. But of course, these pigs are the grandfather politicians of Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. And they will of course say that the old rule never existed. It always said animals won't drink alcohol to excess. Stalin rewrote history to suit his current mood. Putin and Trump say up is down in the face of video of them saying up is up blaming the conspiracy on fake news every time a rule is altered the an- altered the animals swear they remember different but they trust the evidence in front of them squealer and the sheep say how things are now newly is how things have always been orwell wouldn't coin the phrase until 1984 the book not the year he was dead by the year but this is of course the nature of his concept of double think knowing two contrary things and yet believing both in the end there is only one commandment and all the rest have been erased from the barn well from history from collective memory and that commandment reads in the it is perfect doublethink purest doublethink all animals are created equal but some are more equal than others as I've said, Napoleon is clearly Stalin and Snowball is clearly Leon Trotsky. The two are allies at first, then in competition, then Napoleon uses his specially trained dogs, a secret police, to chase Snowball off the farm and there is a, potential, a potentiality that he is killed. After Stalin bullied and killed his way to the head of the Communist Party, Str- Trotsky fled to Mexico where he was eventually assassinated. We aren't told Snowball's fate because he's too convenient as a scapegoat if the other animals think he's still alive and sabotaging things. The second he's gone, Napoleon enacts his windmill plan, though he'd earlier scoffed at it. Then, uh, through revisionist history, he starts smearing Snowball's legacy. As the animals work on the windmill, it is sabotaged, supposedly, and this and many other events are blamed on the phantom, that is Snowball. His crimes continue. He, quote, was declared to be hiding at Foxwood, while when he inclined towards Pilkington, Snowball was said to be in Pinchfield. The cows unanimously declared that Snowball crept into their stalls and milked them in their sleep. Snowball has sold himself to Frederick of Pinchfield Farm. Snowball was in league with the Joneses from the very start. Um, did we not see for ourselves how he attempted, fortunately without success, to get us defeated and destroyed at the Battle of the Cowshed? They all remembered, or thought they remembered, how they had been, how they had seen Snowball charging ahead of them at the Battle of the Cowshead Cowshed. Cowshed. How he had rallied and encouraged them at every turn. How he had not paused for an instant even when the pellets of Jones's gun had wounded his back. Even Boxer, who seldom asked questions, was puzzled. Napoleon did not appear at the Battle of the Cowshed and Snowball did fight bravely and was wounded. This cannot be because he operates much better as, as the spectral scapegoat. Where would politicians be without name-calling, without projection? Attack ads have become standard practice, even in Canada, where we used to mock the short-sighted American bit lies. Many politicians cover their own lack of policies by attacking weakness in the policies of others or creating weaknesses in perceived policies. This vilification was something Orwell was attacking in the Soviet Union. He would be saddened to learn that it is standard practice in most modern democracies. Politicians make the world binary. The people across the floor are their enemies and supporters. Take this to heart. The January 6th Capitol riots. The so-called Freedom Convoy. Rocks thrown at candidate politicians. Families assaulted. What Orwell attacked in Stalin via Napoleon is now standard practice. You need stand for nothing if all you do is criticize the actions of others, or better yet, make up actions of others. Pretend that conspiracies exist, that coalitions between all your foes exist, and that they readjust whenever needed to suit your ire. When you read Plato... And when you especially read Aristotle, it's surprising how important they feel politicians are. For us, politicians and lawyers, who often get into politics, are bywords for liars, for corruption. This is unfair. But a citizen has got to be a special kind of naive to like politicians as true leaders. They're too obsessed with winning to lead. And winning means attacking the other side. Of course, the next step, once you've established yourself as leader, smeared the other guy, and lied your way to the top, is, like, a, like Napoleon, to assume your role keeps powers it doesn't and promptly start abusing them, and to create a cult of your own personality. Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, and our shiny new Albertan Premier Daniel Smith all exemplify this today. Famously, the final chapters of this novella set the pigs... Uh, see the pigs invite humans in for a celebration meal. The pigs, now walking on two legs, wearing clothes, drinking whiskey, congratulate themselves and are congratulated by the humans for the brutal efficiency of Animal Farm, which is now crueler and more productive than it ever was under Farmer Jones. Voices rise in a debate, and the book ends famously with the words, The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Or, back to the Who quote from Won't Get Fooled Again, Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Animal Farm, just like 1984, is more pertinent today than the time it was written unlike 1984, Animal Farm was written in a scathing indictment of specific people in a specific time and place. It was never meant to be universal. But what happened in the Soviet Union, a socialist state by and for the commoner, that became a corrupt dictatorship, that is, that became everything it claimed it was not, that became everything it stood for, is nothing new. Plato, Socrates is right when he says that we shouldn't trust anyone who wants to be in power. True leaders don't want power, and they don't do everything they can to maintain that power. They lead. Scan the politicians you know. All sides of the spectrum, and you will see few, if any, leaders. On February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded the Ukraine. Under false pretenses, Vladimir Putin played a very similar hand to Stalin almost 90 years before. The war on the ground comes first, but the war of words, the campaign of lies and misinformation, came next and plays a bigger role. Napoleon only had squealer and sheep. Stalin only had the state media. Vladimir Putin has the internet and a world of people who don't know what information to trust because we've become so bad at sifting the lies. This book matters more than ever because Napoleon is no longer just Stalin. He's any and all politicians, not leaders, politicians who feel they can take advantage of people by manipulating truth. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.